So welcome back to Thrive, your agency resource. If you've been a little unsure as to what conscious leadership is, what it's all about, and why it's needed today more than ever, you're really going to love today's conversation, probably as much as I will. My guest is Deborah Sunderland. She's the founder and lead coach at Sunderland Coaching. She's also represented by my other business, uh, Consciousness Leaders. So definitely check her out there. Deborah, welcome to the show. I am so excited and have been so really looking forward to this conversation for a while. Thank you, Kelly. Me too. Let's do it. <laughs> so um, the the funny backstory or serendipitous backstory is that um, the way that we kind of found each other or the way that I found you, I guess I should say, um, I ran a Google search because I was curious one day, what comes up on Google when you search, what is conscious leadership? And so um, out of that curiosity, up comes on position zero, Deborah's website. What is conscious leadership? And it was a really great definition. And then I started clicking through. I found and learned a little bit more about Deborah. And as I'm reading her her story, um, I was like, my mouth kind of like hung open. I got chills, and I was like, wow, we have such a similar upbringing, such a similar path, a similar journey. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? I feel like I I definitely felt such a an instant connection before we even um, you know, met for the first time on zoom. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to, to have you share that. I have chills right now as well. I remember that moment and my mouth dropped when you started to share your story. And for me, it was, um, having parents who didn't take good care of me. I'm, you know, that how a child would like to be treated, taken care of. And my mom was ill. Um, and continues to not take good care of herself. And it came out towards me and my brother. So I ended up being the one who protected both of us and um, crazy stories like my mom taking us to go shopping and she would steal everything and we'd go, not everything, but whatever she wanted. And then we would go be taken off to the police station. And then the students at school that I went to school with would know about it or my parents would be fighting and the police would come to mitigate and take care of us. Or we'd go running out of the house at night to be safe from my mom and dad trying to kill each other with knives. So it was, it was a very, it was like living in a war zone pretty much every day. And I never knew what was going to happen. And I realized that it was so for me. I realized that I had to become ultra, ultra, sensitive to my wisdom of my intuition, Mm. my feelings, um, be one step ahead. It helped me be safe. It helped me achieve. It brought me to being the winner, um, seeking acceptance from the outside of my life. Um, and it's so for me because I really learned to love my parents, um, that they're just doing the best they really could. And I believe we all are, we're really just really trying to do the best we can. And, the best thing I can do is love them and love myself and keep loving myself. And that's what I've been learning through that whole journey. Yeah. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. So one of the things that, that, you know, I just want to kind of um, put a pin in is this idea that, you know, listen, none of us had a perfect childhood. Um, some of us just had a little bit more of a difficult time than others. Right. Um, and I know that that's a, a very light and blanket statement, but the reality is none of us uh, escaped that childhood unscathed, right? There were, there was either neglect or abuse or this or that. And, and unfortunately that's normal, right? Like that's in some way 
how we learn, how we develop, how we develop coping mechanisms, all these different things. But something that you said was that you, you sought um, externally, right? So this idea that I need to validate my sense of self from the external versus um, having that self-validation or that inner validation. I think that's really important because I don't think a lot of people, even if you're pretty self-aware, I don't think a lot of people really think about that and realize that that how that comes out and how that shows up in the way that we talk or think or behave, right? So can you talk talk a little bit more about that, um, yeah. that, that yeah. validation sense and like how that shows up for leaders? Yeah. So I love that. So for those of you who are Enneagram trained or know about that, I'm just going to mention that um, I'm a three on the Enneagram, which means I'm a winner. I'm a achiever. I'm not going to fail. And many leaders, many CEOs are in that type. They're going to win. They want their tim- team to win. Is that like and, a two or a three? Uh, it's a three. Threes, threes and eights typically are leaders of companies, not always, but typically. And eights are um, the active controller, they're called. Um, so the reason I mentioned that is um, we have all learned, we've been taught since we've been going to school, maybe even by our parents, to be winners, to be achievers, to get that A, to reach something in order to get to the next level, to graduate from high school, to go on to college, to get to the company you want. And we're always looking outside for that. And then we have this temporary head of, oh, I made it. Oh, I made it. Oh, I made it. And there's this angst typically that is driving, driving, and it's never enough. And I felt that insatiable. And I felt that as a child, I had this pit in my stomach. I was first chair violinist. I was the best track runner, whatever it was, but there was this thing inside of me that would never let up. Because I was looking out here and I've noticed with leaders, when I really get to know them, and I'm talking about multi-billion dollar company leaders, all the way down to startups, they'll have the same want. It's, can I be accepted? Am I enough? And do I have enough? And the ones who really strive to have enough and be enough on the outside usually are the ones who are seeking that approval, like myself. And until I learned that it won't be enough and it has to be me that is enough and believe that, feel that, feel my feelings, accept myself, learn, um, and that we're all reactive, all of us. Like even when I think about my parents just now, as you talked about that, mm. um, everyone has a reactivity, right? Uh, no matter what it is, we all have a reactive mind to keep us safe. Well, they're just being reactive. It's no different. They just maybe did extreme things, but they're just being reactive. And that's how we all are. And looking outside of ourselves is a reactive phase. It is a, can I be safe out here if someone measures me or deems me as being the gold star and you can move to the next level. And so letting go of that and really doing the inner work of how am I enough? And do I have enough right here, right now, the presence of that being in the present moment is what really changed me and the the work that I do with people right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how, how does that translate? Right. So we're talking about like self-awareness and, and deep personal work and all of that kind of development, right? How does that translate into conscious leadership and, um, maybe also why more people are even waking up to conscious leadership right now. Mm, mm-hmm, mm, yeah. Thank you. So conscious leadership is about being present. It is about being very aware, conscious, 
the opposite of being in a coma, which I very well know that I was put in a coma because I had a brain injury and I woke up to consciousness, um, being aware of my feelings, being aware of my body intelligence, being aware of my thinking, what am I telling myself? Instead of just floating along and being at the effect or reactive to my behaviors that I've lived pretty much my whole life. Mm. So I believe now, which I love seeing the growth of consciousness around even the younger generation. Um, they, my story, my belief, my experience is that I'm going to say 40 and younger have seen and experienced people my age and older suffering. They see us trying to get there, trying to get there. And they could, there's an energy around that and it's kind of icky and they can feel it. It's not that they don't care for those people, but they're like, I don't know what that is over there, but I don't want it. I don't want (laughs) it. And I want to do things differently. And so they come up with this word purpose, right? But it, I think it's, that's even been kind of like, I don't know, diluted where people think it's about, I'm going to serve a company or underprivileged or whatever it is for once a month, but that's not what these younger people are saying. They're saying, I want to live who I'm called to be. And so I see that yearning inside of them really, um, that they're really searching for how can I have that? How can, who am I? Because I'm being told one thing over here at school, like this is what I got to do to be here, but yet it doesn't really align with me. And so when I work on, I do work with Vanderbilt and Belmont university here. And when I talk with these younger people, they're so curious. And so consciousness to me is, can I get curious as to what's here right now? And what can I learn right now versus just being reactive and when we're conscious, we want to look at the results. If we're not getting the results we want, especially now, people are fe- more fearful than ever. People are overwhelmed. People don't have clarity. They've never had to navigate a situation like we've all been in. How do we do this? Be on Zoom, not be on Zoom, be together, or not be together. And now we're getting a different round of the, the variant. So when people try to figure out what to do, um, out of a reactivity, we will never get the result we want. So seeing how people can step back, take a deep breath and look at like, huh, how could this be for us? Just like our childhood for me and you wasn't for us or it was for us in the time it wasn't. And we don't believe COVID's really for us, but really I want to encourage people like, how is it really for us to slow down and look at what hasn't been working, even though we've been a hugely successful nation And how do we shift around being who we want to become and become with each other versus what we accomplish? Right, right. Let's face it, agency life looks very different than ever before. Remote and hybrid teams need better tools to help them communicate and access files, track their time, manage client budgets, and more. If you believe that it's time to streamline things once and for all, Workamajig is the all-in-one agency management platform built to help you do just that. Head over to workamajig.com forward slash thrive to learn more. Back to the show. So it sounds to me that, you know, it's kind of like conscious leadership and the and the idea that people are waking up to this now. It's like for some people, the way that we've historically been going has worked. But that that some people is a very small percentage. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. not you or I, it's not yeah, most yeah. people. It's a small yeah. percentage. So what yeah. that actually indicates is that the way that we have been operating as individuals and as organizations is not sustainable, right? Yeah. So if we boil it down, conscious leadership is about trying to create 
sustainability within the self and the organization, right? Like that's probably if we boil it all down, that's what we're, that's what we're after. And, you know, some people talk about it into, in the context of, you know, um, valuing the people, the humans in the organization, um, valuing the planet, any kind of um, impact from that standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And profit, not profit over those things, profit as part of those things. Um, if it was sort of like a little Venn diagram, maybe profit might even be the bottom circle, right? Mm-hmm. But somewhere in the middle where there's the overlap is something called sustainability, right? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I just, I think that people are realizing that it's it's just, we can't keep going like this, right? And yeah. You know, you you mentioned that it's more um, people, younger generation, like 40 and under, right? I'm right at that cusp. Um, but I also notice in my coaching work that it is people who are actually a little older than that, that are also starting to wake up because they're in a little bit of a different mindset. They're not looking at the folks older than them and saying like, oh, I don't want to continue to do that. They're actually having some kind of experience themselves where they're starting to do what you said, which is dial up that curiosity. Why don't I feel happy? Why do I feel like I'm not sure if I am doing this right? I thought it was going to be more beautiful than this. I mm-hmm. thought I was going to be happier than this, right? Yeah. So they're yeah. starting to ask those questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just just curious what you think Yeah. About. Yeah. There, there, there definitely are some of those for sure. Um, I see that they're, my, my experience has been, they're still very, still attached. They might be curious, but it's really hard to let go. If you're making billions or millions, it's really hard to let go of trying maybe the opposite, even of thinking and feeling and doing. Um, but yes, I, I agree. And I love that you brought that up because I mean, I, I think you all have known, you know, about consciousness. So when we're not conscious, we're living in fear. We're living in toxic fear. We're living at, oh my gosh, be careful. Watch out. You're, that might be wrong. You're wrong or I'm wrong. Or, and so we will never create a result we want from that space. Um, and so I think some of these older people are looking at like, um, my back hurts. My body hurts now. I just had a heart attack and I'm 50 years old or, you know, and, and they're starting to realize that they've been storing a lot in their, their bodies even, and that's taking a toll on them. And there's always this little nag niggle in them looking for some sort of fulfillment. And I've actually coined a word. I don't know if we talked about this when we met last time, but it's called geniusship. So my work is to move us from excellence, which I believe is killing us to consciousness, to waking up to we're more than achieving and winning to our genius that we all have this purpose, calling, skill, talent, all lined up beautifully because we're all unique, like no one else. And if we are put into that, if we create that for ourselves and our people, whoa, the sky is the limit and talk about creating something greater than we could just by trying to achieve something talk about sustainability and engagement. Right. So that's my, that's my desire is that we start to really wake people up to consciousness, taking radical responsibility for, I think, feel, respond or react. We're going to react. How do I like continue to move through that to responsiveness? And then can I start to wonder why, what am I doing here? Like, what's my purpose? It's got to right. be more than achieving. Right. And I do see people asking and looking for that. 
I love this idea that excellence is killing us. Did you write this book yet? That's the title I, of the book. That is the book. <laughs> Actually, I'm going on sabbatical in September and I'm going to be working on it. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that, but hopefully oh, yeah. that hopefully <laughs> yes. that that is the title because that I would definitely... And it is totally the title. It's called Your Excellence is Killing You. Oh my God. That's really interesting. I really didn't know that. Um, yeah, because that for someone who identifies or has previously identified, to be clear, as a total perfectionist, total type A, everything that you've said, it was like every, and I know so many people listening and watching can identify with this, right? You are the leader or potentially the owner or both of an agency or some type of marketing, creative technology firm, right? And so have you ever stopped to wonder what is it that's actually driving all of that? Um, For me, I can only speak for myself, but for me, I have come to realize that it was my need to prove to myself and to the world that I was valuable and worthy, right? I needed that affirmation. So my drive, like you talked a little bit about that thing underneath, right? My drive was to prove worthiness because I didn't get it as a child, right? I wasn't taught that I was worthy for just simply who I was. For me, it was like, if you get the straight A, if you are captain of the sports team, if, 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 right? If you do all these things, conditional love, then I might love you. In my case, it was like, you could do all those things. I'm still not going to do it, but that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, I know. I know that one too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but this is the thing, right? Like we, we are inadvertently taught and it's not our parents' faults, right? Like that's probably what they were taught. Exactly. It, it, it just is. And so, um, but it is a good question. Like what is the driver behind you owning an agency or taking the initiative to start something, to start as a practitioner and say, yeah, I could do this. I could prove to everyone really to myself, but prove to everyone that I can do this and I'll get that external validation back to what we were talking about before. Totally. So a three, you, you, what you just said, that's what a three is. They're yeah. seeking their worthiness from outside of themselves yeah. and they're afraid that they don't, that they're not valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and afraid. It, yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I find the same thing like is to know your motivation. And, and for those of you, I'm just going to make a plug for the Enneagram and to get it assessed appropriately, because it really is under a, a great tool to notice through that. What is your motivation? It does mm-hmm. really highlight your motivation and how to stretch and grow out of that. I call my three is my delusion, my delusion <laughs> to safety and my delusion to enoughness. And my del- <laughs> it's my delusion, right? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. What That's an awesome reframe. I love that because exactly. it, it also takes the attachment to it mm-hmm. as like a crutch like, oh, well, that's just how I am. It's like, well, no, mm-hmm. that's actually, I'm calling myself out. That's my delusion. And now I'm like, I love that. I love that. Yeah, so, totally. so Deborah, as we start to wrap up, you mentioned Enneagram as one tool, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are a couple more in your repertoire that you use probably on a daily basis. So um, any that you can share with the audience? Yeah. Yeah. So for sure, um, you all, when we are triggered, we don't breathe fully. Our whole, our muscular system tightens. It pulls in to protect our body and we only breathe a very short amount. And from that space, we're not able to even think clearly. And then it doesn't feel good in our body. So I have learned the major thing that has changed my body and, and my whole being is learning breathing practices. And just one simple thing that I do is breathe through my belly as deep as I can, slow as I can in the midst of me being triggered, 
and just uh, feeling the rise and expansion of my belly all the way up through my chest, through my nose, as slowly as I can, and then even slower exhale all the way out. And I do that three or four times. And I practice that even when I'm not triggered, Mm -hmm. because then I remember, oh, yeah, come back to your breath, come back to your breath. So that actually does change your nervous system and actually the chemistry in your blood. Um, when, when we breathe, the other thing I do is once I've felt my feelings through and I'm clear minded, I ask myself, wow, that, that thought I had that really got me going. Could the opposite of that thought be true or even truer Mm. than what I was telling myself? And that's neuroplasticity really Mm -hmm. is, is starting to think of another way. And whoa, it brings you to curiosity because when we're triggered, we're not curious, we're just right. Right. And it then brings me to a state of, um, a state of peace and calm, right? Just asking the opposite calm slows me down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, do do you have a, a specific example in, let's say the last couple of weeks where you used one of these tools and it like totally changed your, emotional regulation or nervous system or something along those lines that allowed you to kind of come back to center? (laughs) Well, I've really been triggered. We talked about this earlier around COVID. Um, I have found that five people that I know have COVID and they all have been vaccinated. And I got angry because I'm like, why are you doing this? If people are still getting COVID and they're not wearing masks. And so I, I had fear. I had anger. I had this, like, what are we going to do now? There's nowhere safe to go. And you know, that I can right. feel myself spiraling now. I was like, <laughs> oh, I can't go in here. I'm going to live in my house again. <laughs> and so even this morning, I could feel a tinge of it. This happened last night. So I said, okay, just breathe. I noticed, and I said out loud, what's here. I said, there's fear here. That's mm-hmm. what the main thing. So can you just welcome fear and breathe with it? Allow it to be here instead of push it away. And there's anger and frustration here. So mm-hmm. can I just welcome that breathe and just be with what is instead of also trying to push away the frustration. And this morning I woke up lighter and I just kept welcoming myself with my breath, with whatever was there. And I'm a new person for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm able to have like a clear headed conversation now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that um, as the example because I think a lot of people are definitely dealing with that. Um I I definitely that resonates a lot with me as well. So it's it's helpful and yeah. uh, hopefully that you know some people can can take that away as well yeah. listening to it. I I went to thought I would share I've had it three times so I want to share it with you. Yeah. Um this morning it popped up in my, um, my phone. It's the great resignation, which I know, you know, of, and it, of these, you know, leaders, CEOs who are like, I'm out of here. I'm checking out. This is, this is too much for me. This is not what I want. I don't want this on my plate. I don't have the answers, whatever it is. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And my story that I make up around that is that they're going to think that if they leave, things are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And then they're finally going to have whatever it is. And my want for us is for you and me, the people who are conscious supporters of this is to support them. And like, let's take a step back. What if you still are the answer, but we look at it from a different path. We take a breath and take a look at like, how is this situation for you as a leader too? So I just wanted to share that. 
I'm really glad that you did. That's that's a beautiful way to wrap up. Deborah, thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, I love, love talking to you and I look forward to the next time. Thanks, Kelly. You too. This episode has been brought to you by Workamajig, the number one creative agency management software. Show notes at thrive.workamajig.com. Find out how your creative agency can become more productive and more profitable. Schedule your demo at thrive.workamajig.com.